the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, when is news the news? Well, you know things are bad in Afghanistan when the big guy starts getting criticism from CNN and MSNBC. And when Democrats take the heat, it's usually because their friends in the media just have no other choice, which apparently they don't have in this case. You can only spin a story so much. But is anybody in cable news doing real news anymore? The uh, Media Research Center looked into that and found that if you're looking for just the news on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, uh, you're probably not going to get it. What you will get is a lot of opinion. You've probably noticed that. And a lot of the opinion is disguised as news. The number that they came up with is 22%. That's how much just the facts news is uh, happening in the coverage of major events. That's, quote, just the facts, unquote, news. Uh, and, and it's not happening much in the coverage of major events. Lots of preaching to the choir going on out there. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to media expert Jeff McCall about that and whether it's a case of the media not really doing their jobs, maybe even doing a disservice. And something else I'm going to talk to him about uh, that bothers me a little bit, and it involves the sports media. The Steelers announced uh, yesterday, I don't know if they announced it, but they made it, uh, made it clear that the locker room will not be open to the media after games this season unless they're quote-unquote club-affiliated. Well, let me tell you something. Club-affiliated media ain't the media. And if the reporter covering a Steelers game is wearing a Steelers jersey or holding a microphone with a Steelers flag on it, that ain't the media. Now, it's only football, so it's not the end of the world. But it also is another reason why local coverage of the team ain't what it used to be. Uh, When all the interviews are provided by the team on a Zoom call, everybody has the same answers. So an individual reporter has a tough time doing a report with an original storyline. You get everything, everything looks the same, and the interviews are boring. Nothing like what you get when you stick your microphone in a player's face as he's standing at his locker a few minutes after the game. And as this trend continues, you could actually make a case for the press box becoming useless. If the interviews are going to be done on a Zoom call, what's the point in any reporter covering a game in person anymore? We'll talk to Jeff McCall about that, too. And other stuff, in our second half hour, we're going to talk to an author who's written a book that debunks the 1619 Project. And you might be surprised to hear... How many schools are teaching it now? Stick around. The pandemic has been tough on everyone, but imagine living in a country where food, clean water, and basic services are hard to come by even in the best of times. That's the daily reality for poor families throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, where COVID has been absolutely devastating, especially for children. But right now, during our annual Food for the Poor campaign, a small business like yours can make an immediate, lasting impact. And there's something in it for you. When you make a tax-deductible gift of $1,200 at TheAnswerPGH.com, you'll not only help Food for the Poor feed 30 children for six months, we'll give your business 40 60-second commercials to run on this station Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. at no additional charge. Just click the red banner at TheAnswerPGH.com to make your donation, and we'll be in touch. Do it today, and thank you for your support. That's TheAnswerPGH.com slash food for the poor. TheAnswerPGH.com slash food for the poor. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, Overdesigned and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's. So thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, 
We hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 831-21. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsoruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsoruspittsburgh.com. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Traders, listen up. As life in America starts to return to normal, are you looking for the best trading opportunities? With the current real estate market, the rise of crypto, and the volatility of tech stocks, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. With Vantage Point, you don't have to. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 to learn how our technology analyzes over 1 million data points per day. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 so you can learn how to predict market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Whether you're trading stocks, options, forex, futures, or crypto, Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Text MONEY to 813-813 to find out how to maximize your gains. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 to learn how to use the volatility to your advantage. Don't wait. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 now. By texting in, you consent to receive calls, voice, and text messages using automated technology regarding offers by or on behalf of Vantage Point. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, if you didn't think uh, that the collapse of Afghanistan was a disaster, you had to be convinced when you saw how the media reacted. The Democrat uh, propaganda outlets went after Joe Biden hard. I think it's only a matter of time, actually, before they spin it to make Joe a sympathetic figure, if not a hero, at some point. We'll see. But uh, Jeffrey McCall is a professor of communications at DePaul University and a media critic for FoxNews.com and The Hill. He joins us now. Jeff, always good to have you on. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome, John. So uh, can you think of another story that got the Democrat? I'm talking about recently, another story that uh, got the Democrats' uh, friends in the media to turn on them like they have on this one? No, this is about it. I mean, if you go back even even before the, the Trump administration came into power, the Democrats have had a very soft ride from the establishment media, as I like to call them, and it's even a little surprising that they've turned on Joe Biden with regard to the Afghanistan coverage. But at a certain point, you couldn't look the other way. I mean, at a certain point, they just had to start reporting the disaster that this whole Afghanistan situation is. And I mean, I know that the establishment media doesn't have a lot of credibility anymore based on polling across the nation. But if they had tried to sandbag this or make this look like a good moment for the Joe Biden administration, they would have had zero credibility left. So at a certain point, they had to get in there. Uh, and also, I think this is an interesting notion to think about, too. You know, the left-wing media, the establishment media, has never really been all that sympathetic to Joe Biden, except in as much as he was running against Donald Trump in the general election. And so when you go really back to the primary uh, of the 2020 election for the Democrats, uh, they were really sympathetic to many of the other Democratic contenders, and Biden at one point was an afterthought, and nobody even figured he'd really ever get it. So it's not all that surprising that they're going after him, but it's interesting that they picked this one, because over the last several months, they could have picked to uh, you know, uh, criticize the problems with inflation. They could have picked the problems with COVID management, uh, and not to mention Hunter Biden. So, uh, but finally, I think uh, Biden's luck kind of has run out, and now he's going to be, uh, and I think fairly, 
criticized for what is happening in Afghanistan, and it is a little surprising to see that the left of center establishment media is part of that now. Yeah, and um, you mentioned the primaries. They were big fans of uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. I'm talking about the the liberal side, uh, not Fox, obviously. and uh, they kind of they had they didn't have any choice but to get on on board with Joe because they hated Trump so much, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. If you go back to the early stages of the Democratic primaries, uh, remember uh, the media was uh, quite enamored with Pete Buttigieg when he did so well on the Iowa caucuses, and Beto O'Rourke got a lot of attention and you know the fronts of magazines yeah. and a lot of prime time attention and whatnot, but. Uh, and they were clearly flashes in the pan. They, their campaigns really never had any place to go. Uh, but Biden kind of all of a sudden emerged, and he was an afterthought for the media for a long time. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, all the rest of them got a lot more attention. Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, even for heaven's sakes, was you know the, the best debater and those sorts of things, uh, which Biden clearly was not. Uh, but once it seemed like Biden was going to get the nomination, they had to rally around him because they sure didn't want to uh, give any opportunity for Trump to uh, get his news agenda uh, going in front of the, the the viewers on these, and, and it's primarily the cable channels, but also the mainstream media like the Washington Post and New York Times. They all got on the Biden bandwagon pretty quickly once he started to get some momentum. Oh, yeah. Uh, you knew they were going to whoever their horse was. He was going to be. They were going to ride it. Um, there, there should be enough hard news involved in this Afghanistan story uh, to keep the the cable outlets uh, cable outlets busy, uh, cable news outlets, I should say. But, but according to the uh, the Media Research Center, uh, cable news operations have gotten out of the habit of covering hard news. Um, what you get is mostly opinion. How have they done on this one? As far as covering it as hard news, do you think? Well, they, they've done a, a better job, I think, of covering the hard news for the Afghanistan situation. A major problem they have, though, is it's really hard to get any particular news out of there. I mean, the, the main new, mainstream media is really dependent on what they're being told from American sources at the Pentagon or the State Department. Uh, most journalists are not on the ground in Afghanistan anymore, obviously, for any number of security reasons. Uh, but so they're really much relying on uh, kind of the uh, bureaucratic points of view that are presented. And then they, of course, bring in the political points of view as well. But there is some hard news to be had there. They've got to cover that. Um, and I think it is interesting that they are trying to cover that, but uh, they don't have really the resources to cover it in a fair way, I don't think. Uh, or I, I shouldn't say fair, maybe in-depth is probably the way to put that, because they really just are limited as to what they really know. And think of how many of the reports are speculative, like, well, how can people get to the airport? How many Americans are still out there? What might happen? What does the Taliban think? And that sort of thing. So a lot of the news coverage, is, e- even though it is you know, supposed to be hard news, is still speculative in nature. Um, and I think that's good. Uh, you mentioned the Media Research Center you know, has indicated that most cable news channels don't do a lot of hard news anymore. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, the study that came out, uh, as I'm sure you've referenced here, is just that uh, just a little over 22% of cable news has any hard news in it at all, and during prime time, it's less than 10%. And that's because the cable news channels have all gone toward opinion journalism. Uh, and one of the main reasons, of course, is just pragmatically it's cheaper to do opinion journalism than to try to fill up, you know, the news hole all day with hard-hitting, uh, hard, you know, straight news. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the audience can only take so much hard news as well when you get right down to it. And many audience members are tuning in to get an analysis or an opinion on things. But it is expensive to do hard news around the clock, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, the Media Research Center has found in its data that these cable news channels are relying so much on opinion and analysis. And just just as an aside here, I visited the Media Research Center three or four years ago in their suburban uh, Washington, D.C. headquarters, uh, and I think their methodologies are very solid in their content analysis. Now, the Media Research Center does lean right politically, but I think the data they pre- present 
is quite valid and the methodology is solid because they have actual researchers and statisticians doing that. And then they have other people like Brent Bozell who do the analysis uh, and Tim Graham after the fact when they look at the data. But I think the data is legitimate uh, and I was quite impressed by the operation they have to do their methodological research. And it's interesting too, uh, Jeff, that there is something called the Media Research Center, which seems to be thriving, has been around for a long time, whose only purpose is to prove how biased the left-wing uh, media is, are. Yeah, and uh, it's not that hard to find that. And as I mentioned, I think their content analysis methodology is very solid. But uh, once you put the data together, uh, it's pretty clear that the media is leaning quite far to the left, uh, that they choose topics that are more le- left-leaning, uh, the angles that, that they take on stories are left-leaning, the sympathetic politicians are all the ones that are left-leaning. And um, and it is concerning, I think, uh, that we've got this situation in our mass media because the media is designed, of course, to represent the interests of the American public, and the American public's interests are all across the board politically. They are not all left-leaning. Uh, you've got left-leaning people and right-leaning people, and a lot of people who are moderates and centrists. And that's one thing I always think when I look at the cable news channels, is where do the centrists and moderates go? Uh, and, and the evidence is, by the way, they're more likely to watch Fox News, interestingly, than they are CNN or MSNBC. But even for the moderates and centrists, I think a lot of them just kind of like throw up their hands and like, well, there is no cable news channel for me, so I'm just not going to pay any attention at all which, as we talked about before, is very dangerous for democracy when you have so many citizens who don't follow the news carefully, particularly in a time like this. I mean, not only is Afghanistan, you know, a, a world event uh, in terms of America's presence and credibility in the world, but, you know, there are indications that the economy is, you know, in trouble in various ways with uh, inflation particular, particularly. Um, there's so much confusion about what's going on with COVID in terms of masks and vaccines and mandates and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we can't look at the news and say, can we get a straight story here? Or are all the stories based on, you know, somebody trying to push an agenda? And, you know, if you watch CNN for a while, you would think the COVID situation is entirely different than if you watch Fox News during prime time uh, when they're talking about, you know, the COVID maybe isn't as bad as everybody says it is. And, and I think that's where we miss having, you know, more of an objective, professional, journalistic community that people could rely on and say, this is, you know, this is probably the accurate point of view to have. And that was the case, of course, 40 years ago when Walter Cronkite sat down in the evening. Most people looked at him and said, this is probably the straight scoop here. And it is worth noting that, you know, when Cronkite was in his heyday, you know, he was drawing 27 to 29 million viewers per night. And that is more than the major three broadcast networks get combined on any one night now. Because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. ABC, CBS, and NBC combined get about 21 million viewers on a good night. And Cronkite beat that, you know, by 30% uh, on his average night back then. And also back then, of course, you had... You know, Frank Reynolds at ABC uh, and David Brinkley at NBC doing a good job as well. And people looked at them as fair-minded people uh, who were trying to give us the straight scoop. And I think when you've got more consistent confidence in the information you're getting as valid and reasonable, I think you're going to have less polarization like we have in the rest of the United States now because people can't go to any one source and say this is probably fair and probably accurate. Yeah, so you you have our, uh, a lot of choirs being preached to, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I know a lot of people in the media world blame the audience for that, and they say, well, the audience is seeking out you know, their own echo chambers, and they're only going to those media outlets that support their point of view. I think part of that is because they don't have any place else to go now. All right. You know, if you watch Good Morning America on ABC, that's clearly a left-leaning thing. And, you know, and if you watch Fox and Friends in the morning, that's clearly a right-leaning thing. And I haven't even gotten into, like, OAN and Newsmax, which are right-leaning. But, you know, basically the establishment media are, media are left-leaning. And so a lot of people are just going to like, hey, I don't want to be preached to. Um, and if you want to, you can, of course. But 
for the moderates and the, the people who just want straight news, there aren't that many avenues out there. Uh, and I think that's a reflection on the news industry kind of push-polling, so to speak, rather than to do a fair and objective job and let the audiences kind of figure that out. I want to talk to you about something else. We're talking to Jeff McCall. He's a professor at DePaul University of uh, uh, Communications. And um, uh, we don't talk about sports much here, but I covered sports for a million years. Went into a lot of locker rooms, and uh, I covered the Steelers on the road and uh, you know, for 20 years and, and covered all their games. And anyway, uh, going into the locker room was a very important part of, of doing that job, uh, be, knowing which players to um, go to to get comments from, not only because you want to get the story, but to make it interesting, funny, whatever. Uh, well, the Steelers announced uh, the other day that there will be no uh, media allowed in the locker room, and I think a lot of teams are doing that. It started with COVID, but I think they just like the idea of no media now. And so, and they said, uh, except for affiliated media, uh, or uh, I forget the word they use, but whatever it is, it's not, it's not media. It's people who work for the team. Uh, that's not a good trend, is it? I mean, I know it's only sports, but... It, uh, club affiliated is what they called it. Thanks, Mike. Mike in my ear there. Uh, it, it is, that's kind of that's 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 bad journalism, isn't it? I mean, well, it's it's just not good good reporting. Yeah, it's clearly these professional sports teams wanting to control messages, and when they limit which athletes you can talk to, you're really controlling the message in a way that is probably not good for the average audience. And let's face it, uh, athletes in this day and age are not just good ball players and great athletes like they might have been, you know, a generation ago. Athletes now are marketing products. Uh, they're taking social political stances. TikTok, and I think, yeah. And, yeah and, oh, yeah, and there's social media heroes and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think these teams are figuring out, like, we better not turn loose these, you know, independent journalists who are not team-affiliated to go in there and talk to people who, you know, athletes who might say any number of things that will go viral and reflect badly on the team. Yeah, so they and select so, the players who, who are going to be on the Zoom interview, uh, and, and that's what you get. You get who they feed you. Yeah, but, you know, these sports performers, you know, they're performing on a national stage. Uh, news consumers are interested in what's going on, and I'm not just talking about sports fans because, you know, how well a professional sports team does in any market impacts that community on a lot of different levels, not just financially, but in terms of, like, the culture and the community spirit and any number of things. And also in Buffalo, they want a new stadium. And they they want the taxpayers to pay for it. That's news. That is news. And I think that these professional teams really need to kind of sit back and reassess what they're doing here because – they're not obligated to provide non-team affiliated journalists in there, but it should make sense just in acknowledgement of the free flow of information uh, and letting the public have as broad a perspective on the performance of the team, uh, whether they win or lose, and whether these athletes are talking about you know a kickoff fumble that they made or whether they're talking about some broader political issue. I think we need to consider that sports now are part of American culture and they're ingrained way beyond in the past when we were just concerned with whether or not a guy could hit a 3-2 curveball and win a game for the Pirates. Right. I only have about a minute left, uh, Jeff. What should the stations, the local stations, do about it? Just accept it? Well, they don't really have too many cards to play, i got to tell you. But I don't think they should accept it. I think, number one, I think they should be reporting about it. Uh-huh. I mean, they've got a soapbox. And, I mean, you've got one there, too. And so right. I, think, I think the local media should... Uh, go on and talk about the implications that are broader and the fact that this is a restriction by the team to control message in ways that are probably uh, more authoritarian than than what they'd really like to make it look like. And so I think people should try to publicize the problem uh, and also try to think about ways to cover the team that don't necessarily cave to the selected people on Zoom and that sort of thing. That's because right. These athletes can be approached in other venues, perhaps. And I think that's the one thing. If I were running a team, I would say, hey, you know, if we restrict too much, then we're going to have these athletes being discussed in other venues or with other contexts, or we're going to get you know, input from other people about the athletes. Sure, yeah. any of that's very good. 
Hey, hey, Jeff, I'm out of time. That's a subject I could go on and on about, but uh, I, I only have a certain amount of time. You're always good to have you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. Thanks. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Okay, that's Jeff McCall. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. When U.S. congressman predicts the botched pullout from Afghanistan will lead to a hostage crisis, Bob Agnew reports. Congressman Mike Gallagher says dealing with the current chaos in Kabul is just the beginning. The looming hostage crisis is really what worries me. Gallagher tells the Salem Radio Network not even the State Department knows how many Americans are still in Afghanistan. And I guarantee you, we're going to leave thousands of people behind. And that's unacceptable for the United States of America. Gallagher says so many Americans trapped in Taliban hands will lead to a number of what he calls terrible situations leading forward. Bob Agner reporting. Delivering another blow to former Governor Andrew Cuomo's legacy, New York's brand new governor, Kathy Hochul, is acknowledging that the state has nearly 12,000 more deaths from COVID-19 than Cuomo told the public. On Wall Street, the Dow up 71 points and the NASDAQ 30 points higher. This is SRN News. Let's be boring and do a commercial about cash out refinances. It's Ryan, and our mortgage team will often have a listener say, I think I understand what a cash out refinance is, but can't that be bad for you sometimes? So let's hit on that. As with anything, it's certainly not the right move for everyone. If we don't have to, we don't want to add a bunch of years onto our loan or increase our monthly payment too much or pay more in the long run. But because home values have skyrocketed so far up the last few years, while rates have come so far down, we've seen many scenarios where listeners today can pull out a significant chunk of money from the new value in their home while lowering the years on the overall loan, while lowering their monthly payment, and lowering how much they ultimately pay. The key is to just look at the whole picture and be honest with yourself about your situation. If you're looking for someone to show you your options, we are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Meadow Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to Animalist Consumer Access. Or corporate Animalist Number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. AM 1250, The Answer. The Mike Gallagher Show. He's your happy conservative warrior. Do you understand that Joe Biden is Jimmy Carter? This is that horrific Iranian hostage thing that fell apart. This is Bay of Pigs. This is every presidential catastrophe playing out right under our noses. Breaking news and what to make of it. The Mike Gallagher Show. Weekdays at 9, right before Dennis Prager at noon on AM 1250. The Answer. Looking for some extra income? Get competitive pay and flexible hours as a school bus driver with A1 Transit. Providing safe, reliable, affordable transportation throughout the tri-state since 1989. Perfect for retirees. This fun, family-run company offers free CDL classes and a sign-on bonus. Must be 24 years or older to apply and must complete a background check. A1 Transit in Verona. To apply in person, call 412-781-6170. That's 412-781-6170. Poor chap. His coat is very thick. He's an Akita, German Shepherd, Lab, Husky mix. Harold, the Border Collie Pit mix, has the most beautiful jet black coat. Stuart, my rat carrier, has fur now where he never had it before. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dynavite will give them a beautiful, lustrous coat. It will make you smile. It's Dynavite. How happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Writing an estate plan is one thing. Having the experience to administer the estate is something else. At Abernathy and Hagerman, estate administration isn't a side job. It's what we do. You have the same goals we all do. To protect your assets, to minimize taxes, and ensure your inheritance gets to the ones that you love. How you get there, that's specific to you. So let's talk. Hagerman Law. Legal help that lasts a lifetime. Visit a-h.law. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. WPGP Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app. Smart speakers. Tune in iHeart or Odyssey. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. 
Eastbound on the turnpike still shut down between Allegheny Valley and Pittsburgh Monroeville with an accident. Now your detour is going to eventually take you to the Parkway East outbound, and that is a solid delay from 2nd Avenue out to Edgewood, Swissvale. About a half hour backup on the Parkway East inbound Forbes Avenue to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Close to a 10-minute delay there. Outbound 28, busy from Grand Avenue up to the Highland Park Bridge. Delay of about 13 minutes. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. We'll see a thunderstorm in spots this evening. Otherwise, patchy clouds tonight. Warm and humid with a low of 69. Humid tomorrow, remaining warm with clouds and sunshine. Expect a high of 89. Friday will be humid with times of clouds and sun. A thunderstorm in the afternoon and a high of 85. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Stackerwall Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, if your kids or grandkids are in school right now, uh, there's a decent chance that they're being exposed to the 1619 Project based on a, I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, the New York Times piece that says the country wasn't really founded in 1776, that it was founded in 1619 when the first slaves arrived in Jamestown, Virginia. Uh, Dr. Mary Graber is a resident fellow at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization, and she's the author of a new book called Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America, and Mary joins us now. Thanks for being here, Mary. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. We had you on before to talk about uh, Mr. Uh, Zinn. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, is, is this project actually a part of a plan? I mean, a, 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 they set out with a plan to let's, let's divide America? Absolutely, yes, it is. Um, it's uh, the plan. It's an old Marxist plan um, to divide Americans into black and white. And, you know, the old Civil War, racial war um plot, you know, that was started in or proposed by Lenin in 1919 when the communists set up. I mean, they're not, you know, referring to Lenin in the 1619 project, but that's essentially the purpose of it. But are, are these people, uh, the, the the people involved in the 1619 project, uh, not only the the author of it, but the, you know, the, the people who are pushing it in the schools and everything, are, do you think they're aware of that, that it, that 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 it's that the communists that that Lenin would be happy to see this, or is it just something that you know they agree with and they think it's good and they think this will be actually good for the kids to learn this stuff? Well, for their goals, they think it's good, but the uh, creator of the project, Nicole Hannah Jones, has written uh, effusively about Fidel Castro. She went to Cuba and she thought it was just a great place and we should emulate it and uh, she favorably quotes a lot of the uh, Marxists or Marxist-leaning historians who twist history around and um, yeah so the goal is ultimately to turn the United States into a socialist state Um, it's you know, just like Cuba, <laughs> that's what she admires. She does not like the United States very much, and that's why she, you know, wrote the 1619 Project. I wonder what came first, the chicken or the egg there. Does does she write about this because she doesn't like America, or, or does she not like America because she actually, I don't know, stumbled upon this somewhere and uh, believes it? Well, she believes it, but she's not very well informed. And in numerous interviews, she has talked about how she learned about history. And that was in high school in a black studies class. And she is a biracial child, and she was bused to a largely black, uh, white school. And there she took a black studies class with this radical teacher who introduced her to a propagandist by the name of Lerone Bennett, who used to write for Ebony Magazine. And he uh, wrote this book called Before the Mayflower, and, and it's just, you know, full of vitriol. And uh, he's the guy who actually termed uh, the phrase black 
power. And, and that's, you know, when, uh, you know, the civil rights movement began uh, getting violent and black power was uttered, you know, by Stokely Carmichael and other radicals. So that's her influence. And I don't think she's read beyond the that author or similar authors who do twist history around and uh, she's also indicated in interviews that you know she she's kind of bitter about what has happened to her family and so forth so i think it's you know to me it sounds like a personal vendetta but it's not based on historical knowledge and that's why i wrote debunking the 1619 project i'm trying to correct uh what you know the new york times 1619 project says with historical facts with research by reputable historians. Uh, Mary, how do, I want to make sure I have your pronunciation of your last name correctly. It's Graybar. Graybar. Okay, I thought I thought I, I was yeah. close. I think. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so so, how hard was this for you to debunk? Uh, was it easy pickings? Um, yeah. Well, th- this has so many gaps in it, and I could probably write another volume on it. I try to, you know, highlight the. Uh, the you know the major points, but uh, you know there's been an incredible amount of research that I did, uh, you know, looking into the true history of slavery in the world. You know, you have to when you're talking about slavery in the United States, you have to put it into the context of what was going on at the time, and um, how you know how long slavery has been in existence and what the 1619 project does it is it pretends that slavery only existed here in the colonies and and then in the united states which is completely false i mean there weren't very many places hardly any places at all where slavery wasn't being practiced in the world when it was practiced in the united states and when we were founded which was 1776 yeah, and um, and the other myth isn't it the other myth that that slavery has always been white slave masters and and people of color as the slaves. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you know, the white Europeans would not have been able to get uh, the enslaved Africans were it not for the fact that they were uh, already enslaved uh, by chiefs who raided other villages and then brought them over to the shore. Occasionally, they cooperated with the Europeans, but that was very rare. And so had it not been for the Africans, there probably would be no uh, African slavery here. And, of course, in the United States, as I point out, um, you know, there were a considerable number of free blacks in the South who owned slaves of their own and got quite wealthy. As a matter of fact, in 1830, just across four states, uh, Louisiana and South Carolina being a couple of them, you had 10,000 black slaves who were owned and worked by black slave owners. So, uh, you know, this was a widely accepted practice, and it was seen as a way to get ahead and to acquire wealth. So this notion that it's exclusively whites who own slaves, uh, that is completely wrong, and and I've debunked it in debunking the 1619 Project. Yeah, uh, we're talking to Mary Grabar. She she wrote this book, and it is the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to uh, Divide America. So what is the truth about 1619? I mean, it's an important date, an important year. Yes, and it has been important in um, black history, and I acknowledge that. And it has sort of been, um, you know, a hallmark, uh, sort of like the Plymouth Rock, you know, more ignoble circumstances, unfortunate. But very little is known about that year. We don't know exactly how many uh, blacks were on that ship. Uh, that came, they say, between 20 and 30. Um, We don't know what their status was. They were not free, but uh, historians are still debating over whether or not they were indentures when they arrived or whether they were were 
they were slaves. And, but we do know that in 1619 and, and, you know, the years afterwards that they were working in the fields side by side with indentured servants from England, uh, you know, who were, you know, in bondage for seven years usually and were doing the same kind of work side by side. And actually the first court case that established the right to own a, a slave uh, was brought by a uh, African, one of the original ones, Anthony Johnson, and that was settled in 1654. So that's that's pretty much where legalized slavery began here in America. Yeah, and indentured uh, servitude was a common thing, right? I mean, and that's how a lot of uh, people made it to America because they they indentured themselves to someone and, and promised that they would work for them for seven years for either for passage here or for or to take them on when they got here. Absolutely, yes. And a lot of people were, you know, basically starving. And uh, sometimes these people were brought over as children. If they were orphans, they were rounded up and put on the ship and indentured out children. Um, You know, women uh, sold themselves as wives to come here. Uh, So these were the poor and uh, they had nothing, and, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, that was their only choice, and they did it, and sometimes they were forced to do it. So, uh, and it was a rough passage, uh, you know, ocean travel was really, yeah. really bad, and there are all kinds of statistics about how many did not make it because of disease, overcrowding, and so forth. So it wasn't like they were going on a luxury liner here. Right. You know, it was it was dangerous. Yeah, and it's been a couple of years now that the 1619 Project has been out there. Uh, how many kids uh, in this uh, country right now are being fed this garbage? Well, the latest number I have is at least 4,500 schools are using it, and uh, the hardback version is coming out in November, so you can be sure more will be using it. Um, There's a campaign going on to keep it in schools. They want to expand it. Uh, The Pulitzer Center, which is the nonprofit that has been distributing it for the New York Times, um, has been luring teachers with $5,000 grants. They're now, uh, you know, offering all kinds of perks and trying to lure the teachers over. And the Zen Education Project is lobbying for it to keep it in the schools. Uh, So there's this massive effort to keep it in schools. And I know from experience uh, from attending teachers' conferences that even if um, parents aren't aware that they are teaching this kind of material, uh, that they sneak it in. And, you know, you may not know that it's being taught to your child unless he or she tells you. So this is just growing, and it's a very, very dangerous ideological view of history. It's, it's grossly distorted history, and it has no place in uh, a classroom K through 12 or even the undergraduate college level. Uh, And where where did I see this? In order to understand the brutality of American capitalism, you have to start on the plantation. (laughs) Yes, that's that's in the 1619 Project. That's basically, in a nutshell, that's Marxism right there, right? I mean, that's exactly uh, the communist view of American history, that, um, you know, slavery under capitalism was particularly cruel and it was capitalism that made slavery cruel and uh, if it weren't for capitalism we really wouldn't have you know the awful legacy of slavery which is completely wrong because you know slavery has been practiced since time immemorial you know before you know there was such a thing as as you know capitalism Right, and, and, and how does someone, I know you don't know the answer to this, but it just occurred to me, uh, how does somebody like Nicole Hannah-Jones go to Cuba, and um, unless she was given a really nice tour by Fidel Castro, but how does someone go there and come back to the United States and say that the problem is capitalism, not socialism? 
I don't know. I th- I think these people are living in an alternate reality. You know, it's like they they get the Potomkin Village tour when they're there. They obviously don't talk to the real people who are right. suffering under communism. And uh, th- there are people who just see things through a distorted lens. And, you know, I point out in my book, debunking the 1619 Project, how wealthy she has gotten. Um, you know, she earns $25,000 for doing a, a Zoom presentation. She's had those every two weeks. I mean, she is just raking in the money. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's, I mean, it's a con job. It's a racket. You know, uh, you have to, if you talk about how awful uh, the United States is, you're going to get a lot of money. (laughs) Lots of people are making lots of money on the the whole uh, critical race theory um, program. Uh, Lots of people are making big money for their for their lectures and, and, and show Now you can do it. You don't have to leave your house and you can make $25,000 talking about this. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's quite a racket. And, uh, you know, the 1619 Project, uh, you know, the fake history supports critical race theory. You couldn't have anyone really believing critical race theory unless you had this kind of distorted history. Mm -hmm. So the 1619 Project supports critical race theory. And if you follow Nicole Hannah-Jones on Twitter, she is constantly fighting to keep, um, you know, the 1619 Project in schools. She's a supporter of critical race theory, Um, but it's for her own financial benefit. Yeah. I mean, she she's like a saleswoman. <laughs> yeah, I only have about a minute left, uh, and the book is Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America. What can be done? You've written the book to expose it. What can be done to turn it around and stop it? Well, I think the, the way to stop it is with the facts. And there are huge gaps in the 1619 Project that I feel uh, in my book, Debunking the 1619 Project, uh, you know, I have copious footnotes. I've done research. I've, you know, I'm here at the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization, surrounded by historians and uh, had access to all the materials that I would need to point out that what the 1619 Project says is factually wrong. They can have any kind of theory they want, but if people are, you know, and and they can promote it and get people to believe it if they are ignorant, but if they have the knowledge, they can, um, you know, use my book, uh, use what I present and debunk it. And so if there is an issue in a classroom or at a school board meeting or uh, at the state level, uh, you know, here you know, I hope people will have access through my book to the facts to fight this pernicious um, critical race theory uh, that's based on this false divisive history. Uh, the book is Debunking the 1619 Project, Exposing the Plan to Divide America. Mary, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Okay, and we'll be right back. This is Todd Chapman with Food for the Poor. Very sad news to report, as disaster once again has struck Haiti, the poorest country in this hemisphere. Over the weekend, a magnitude 7 earthquake rumbled through the southwest region of the island nation. Hundreds are confirmed dead, many more missing. The destruction is widespread. We're hearing reports of 7 out of 10 homes destroyed in some areas. Families already living in extreme poverty are now homeless and living in the streets. They're in need of everything. Food for the Poor is mobilizing emergency relief to the victims of this tragedy. Shipments of food, water, hygiene supplies, and other items are already en route, and we know the need for these supplies will only increase in the days and weeks to come. So your generous and compassionate support is needed now to help these devastated families. Please, give your most generous gift right now. Call 866-922-4673, 866-922-4673, or click the red Give Food banner at TheAnswerPGH.com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. 
but I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Let's be boring and do a commercial about cash out refinances. It's Ryan, and our mortgage team will often have a listener say, I think I understand what a cash out refinance is, but can't that be bad for you sometimes? So let's hit on that. As with anything, it's certainly not the right move for everyone. If we don't have to, we don't want to add a bunch of years onto our loan or increase our monthly payment too much or pay more in the long run. But because home values have skyrocketed so far up the last few years, while rates have come so far down, we've seen many scenarios where listeners today can pull out a significant chunk of money from the new value in their home while lowering the years on the overall loan, while lowering their monthly payment and lowering how much they ultimately pay. The key is to just look at the whole picture and be honest with yourself about your situation. If you're looking for someone to show you your options, we are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Metal Park Road, Melbourne, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to animalistconsumeraccess.org. Corporate analyst number 1330. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. I want to finish up. Uh, got only about a minute here uh, talking about... Uh, what I spoke with, uh, spoke to uh, Jeff McCall about our media expert, and that is the, uh, the 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 teams, the Steelers in this case, not allowing reporters in the locker room after game. I think that really stinks, um, and it's it's bad for a lot of reasons. But uh, this is an example: um, if Colin Kaepernick takes a knee on a day when no reporters are allowed in the locker room, that's a lot different from when he takes the knee. And everybody is pouring in there after the game to talk to him. Um, and also, part of being a good reporter used to be knowing which players to go to after a game, what questions to ask them. And you were kind of on your own. I mean, you, you fed off other people's questions and you used answers to questions that other reporters asked. But you went in there to do your piece on the game and you had your ideas of what questions you were going to ask and then, and you knew how. After a while, after you covered a team for a the while, you, is a production of the. I'll be right back. I'll see you tomorrow. Salem Media Group. <laughs> Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.